You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. The province's inquiry into the Lower Mainland's frustratingly high gas prices may be in trouble. Well, that's because the big three gas companies are refusing to hand over information about their profit margins. Ted Chernecki explains how it could derail the inquiry and how drivers already skeptical about pricing are reacting. The SuperSave gas station at Clark and 12th is living up to its name these days with consistently lower prices than anywhere else, and they've the traffic to prove it, even if today's price is just two cents lower than the shell across the street. You ask them why it's big difference. It's 152 and 126, almost 25 cent different. Yeah. On weekends, there can be traffic jams as motorists line up because this one independent retailer is selling gas sometimes more than 20 cents a litre lower than everybody else. How is that possible? That's what the BC Utilities Commission wants to know, but the big players won't play. In written submissions to the upcoming inquiry, they are refusing to reveal their profit margins, both at the pump and the refinery, citing corporate confidentiality. And we have processes in place that deal with uh, confidential information, and um, a lot of the uh, interveners in this inquiry have not um, had experience with our confidential processes, so we are working with them to ensure that uh, we will keep their information confidential. The oil industry may be a little sensitive about releasing information which confirms uh, what we already seem to know, which on an aggregated scale, the profit margins uh, at the refinery levels are the major reason why we have this increase in gas prices. We asked them privately for the information and they wouldn't give it to us. Now we've got a, an agency that can compel that information. The province could take the oil industry to court, but that could delay the inquiry by years. In the meantime, negotiations continue as the Utilities Commission tries to convince all involved that any sensitive profit margins are for its eyes only. I think so, it should be audited, yeah, for sure. I think that they should be required to divulge that information, for sure. Barring any legal action, the Utilities Commission still hopes to have its recommendations published by late August. Ted Chernacki, Global News. To some breaking news now, a warning from Vancouver police about a sex offender who failed to return to his halfway house yesterday. Take a look. This is Jonathan Cardinal. He's 29 years old and considered a high-risk sex offender. He's currently serving a long-term supervisory order following two violent sexual assaults in 2010. Corrections Canada has now issued a Canada-wide warrant for his arrest. Anyone who sees Cardinal or knows of his whereabouts is asked to call 911 immediately. A dramatic police incident crossing two municipalities this morning. It began in Langley when RCMP responded to reports of an apparent domestic dispute. That call then took officers to Surrey and it ended with an officer firing his gun. Ramina Dea has more on what we've learned about what happened. A witness tells Global News around 2 o'clock in the morning he heard a woman yelling, I hate you, I hate you. Shortly after that, Langley RCMP show up at this home and smash the front door glass. Sources say the victim had been punched in the face. She was taken to hospital. Two small children were found inside. Soon after, police end up at another home, this time in Surrey. We know that through their investigation, things progressed and then entered uh, Surrey, where a residence in our jurisdiction was involved. They went to that location where they were confronted by a distraught man who allegedly produced a weapon. 
Um, during their response, one of the officers discharged their firearm. No one was injured, but the distraught man was taken to the hospital under the Mental Health Act. The officer's bullet struck the house. You can see the bullet hole under the window. Surrey RCMP won't go into detail because the incident is still under investigation. But Global News has learned the distraught man apparently pulled a pellet gun, but the officer couldn't tell in the moment. We don't know if police will be recommending any charges. Our understanding is the children were not injured. They were apprehended by the ministry. Romina Dea, Global News. A charge is being approved against a Vancouver police officer in connection with a 2018 crash that injured other officers and pedestrians. Constable Jose Domingo faces a charge of driving without reasonable consideration. He was driving one of two VPD vehicles that collided last June outside the Vancouver law courts. At the time, police said they were responding to an emergency call and their lights and sirens were on. Two female pedestrians in their 30s were hospitalized, along with three police officers. Some more breaking news for you right now in New Westminster. You're looking at a live shot from Global One, our traffic helicopter right now, of a mobile home fire. It's on or near Highway 17 before, just before the Patullo. I guess that's an RV is what it looks like. It looks like an RV, but or what used to be an RV. Yeah. So if you see a lot of smoke in the area... That is what it's all about. Crews are on the scene, as you can see. No word on what caused this fire yet or if there are any injuries, but definitely uh, a visual a distraction for motorists. And uh, you can see the smoke from quite a distance as well. So we'll let you know when we get more details. No doubt. Also developing right now, heightened wildfire concerns in Osuyas tonight as residents watch a growing blaze just south of the border. The Swanson Mill fire is burning south of Oroville next to Highway 97, about 20 kilometers south of Osuyas. According to the Washington State Department of Natural Resources, it's grown rapidly this afternoon, and it's now reported to be more than 200 acres or around 80 hectares. Firefighting aircraft are being sent to the scene, including an air tanker from B.C. Multiple calls to 911 this morning for an apartment fire in Vancouver's West End. Fire crews arrived on scene at Bidwell and Nelson within minutes, as the fire hall is just up the street. Once they got eyes on the fire, it was upgraded to a second alarm, bringing a total of about 40 firefighters to fight the blaze. While everyone was able to get out safely, dozens of people are displaced, including Kristen Lamont. The fire broke out in her third floor unit, and she's lost everything. This is what I've got left of my life, right here. So I lost everything. I lost my home business. I lost uh, anything that mattered to me except for my dog. When it's actually happening to you, you've got two choices. You let go of everything material and you, you save your dog and yourself. Investigators are now trying to determine a cause. The high cost of taxes is driving some small businesses out of Metro Vancouver. The Canadian Federation of Independent Business says lease and property costs are forcing businesses to pack up and move out. And as Grace Key tells us, neighborhoods are changing quickly. Sally Trainer bought a struggling hair salon on Commercial Drive in 2010. And after years of hard work, Manifesto is now a thriving business that also supports local artists. And I've had to really take a 
a hard look at my business model. And so I reduced the amount of hair chairs and decided to diversify my retail environment. It's not easy making ends meet. For 750 square feet of space, Sally pays $3,600 a month for rent and another $800 a month in property taxes. And those taxes have more than doubled since 2010. It's a huge amount of stress because your margins are your margins. And, and if you're really savvy, you do your best to control those margins. It's the deadline for property tax payments in Vancouver. The Canadian Federation of Independent Business says the way commercial properties are assessed is unfair and antiquated. At one point, we didn't have skyscrapers, right? We didn't have huge residential uh, developments on top of commercial. So at one point, it just wasn't as much of an issue. CFIB says commercial properties should be taxed based on the actual building that exists, not the potential of the lot. The group is calling for a split classification system. Why is a business owner paying uh, a commercial rate, which is four times higher, on a residential potential. So that's the first uh, step that the province needs to, to do. The Ministry of Municipal Affairs and Housing says it's been meeting with local governments and businesses and split classification is an option that's being explored. Adding local governments have a number of tools to address the impact of assessment increases. Sally's lease is coming up again and she's hoping she'll be able to afford to stay here. Where people come here for conversation. It's a real social hub. Grace Key, Global News. The BC Teachers Federation says teachers are being asked to make concessions at the bargaining table, and that's cause for concern. What's up for negotiation is class size, something they never thought would be on the table with the NDP government. Nadia Stewart explains what it all means as the clock ticks down to the first day of school. School's out, but there's lots of work to do this summer for teachers looking to negotiate a collective agreement. So far, talks are off to a bumpy start. We just didn't anticipate that we would be facing concessionary bargaining in this round. The BC Teachers Federation says it's being asked by the BC Public School Employers Association to concede language around class size and composition. Hard-fought language at the centre of a fight between teachers and the province for more than 14 years. Basically, class sizes would be larger uh, all around the province. And this would be sort of worse class size language than almost any district has currently. It would be a huge step backwards because there would be about 30% less, fewer teachers to do this kind of work. A recent survey of 700 BC parents found class size is a concern, particularly among schools in the province's north. 43% of parents there say classes are too big. But for teachers, there's another frustration. After 14 years of disrespecting classrooms, the end of the road has finally arrived for Christy Clark and her war on public education. Given the NDP's stance while in opposition, teachers say the change of tone caught them off guard. They proved in opposition that they knew that the system needs more support, not less. Yet now they seem to be listening to BCPC and trying to make cuts. A negotiator is working with both sides and they'll be in talks through July and August. The BCTF says it's the first time bargaining has gone into the summer months. They're cautiously optimistic a deal will be reached before the first day of school. Nadia Stork, Global News. All right, Keith Baldry joins us live from Victoria with more. Keith, the NDP doesn't seem to be having any more luck negotiating with teachers than previous governments. <laughs> what gives? Ex 
Exactly. So if the NDP is discovering what happened in the 1990s when the NDP was in power, what happened when the B.C. Liberals were in power for the first part of this century, uh, the BCTF really doesn't get along, at least its leadership, with the sitting government. It is very hard to uh, successfully negotiate contracts. It goes on strike more than any other public sector union in this province. Uh, Education Minister Rob Fleming tried to get him on camera today. I think he's becoming increasingly exasperated with what's happening or not happening at the mediated talks uh, because, again, not wanting to come on camera did release a statement saying, I'm pleased the parties are working with the mediator, and I understand the mediator has requested a media blackout so that they can focus on the process and on getting a deal. We want to respect that media blackout. Interestingly, sort of, I think, taking a sideways shot at the TF, who was speaking out publicly today, again, talking about what they consider to be uh, concessions. Talking to the employer today, they reject the, uh, the BCTEF's analysis. They say they're not about to eliminate any teacher positions. Back to mediation, it's continuing right now as we speak, but that's it until next week for a couple more days and then there's no scheduled talks again until August so no one seems to be in a hurry here to get a new deal before the school year starts in September. Really will go by very quickly. Thank you mm -hmm. Keith. <laughs> All right keep it or scrap it. Whatever you think of daylight saving time it's a hot topic and as it turns out there's no shortage of people in this province who want to share their opinions. The province recently launched an online survey. Richard Zussman has more on the overwhelming response so far. British Columbians have been working around the clock debating the future of time. But 158,000 people responding are usually responding because they feel passionately about something. And I have not met too many people on the street that are saying, I want to change my clock back in the fall and spring forward in the springtime. Nobody. After just one week, more than 158,000 people, a provincial record, have filled out a government survey over whether the province should get rid of seasonal time changes. Keeping the clocks the same, we don't have that lag. Waking up late, getting up early, it doesn't mess up the kids. Right now, British Columbians move the clocks back an hour in the fall and forward an hour in the spring. The province hasn't said which way people are officially leaning, but if BC sticks with permanent daylight saving time, all of British Columbia would be on the same time zone. It would just be handy to do business in different areas of the province. Everybody's on the same time. People are really tired of the time change, and it's something that they just want to abolish. And although British Columbians have taken the time to fill out the survey, it may not actually matter what they say, considering the states of Washington, Oregon and California are considering a similar change. And it's likely that B.C. would only change if they did as well. For the economy, I believe it's important that we have a Pacific time, whether it's daylight savings time or Pacific standard time. We should be on the same clock. The United States Congress must approve the legislation supported by the three West Coast states. President Donald Trump is in support of the change and Horgan is optimistic. I'm hopeful that the three governors will move quickly on this and that we'll be able to respond in the fall and this will be, we will not change our clocks again. Another step closer to time being up on switching our clocks twice a year. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. Right now, though, more controversy tonight over redevelopment plans for an old house on Granville Street in Vancouver. Originally, the owner wanted to build townhouse rentals, but that idea was rejected by City Council. Aaron MacArthur has more on what's going there now and why that, too, is raising concern. Traffic on Granville Street can be deafening. Six lanes of rush hour exhaust spewing at palatial homes all day. One old house was set to become new market rentals before city council said no. 
Now, instead of 21 families living here, it will likely be just one. The owners indicating they're going ahead with a 12,000 square foot mansion. Housing advocates call it a missed opportunity. The people who are going to suffer from this are not going to be the 21 families who might have moved in. Uh, those 21 families will find a place, uh, but they're going to push people down the ladder 21 places, and on the bottom, 21 families are going to fall out. City Council balked at the plan to build affordable rental after significant public pressure from a hospice next door. The excuses on council ranged from developer profit margins to parking issues. Urban planners and economists question the logic of the councillors who voted no. But this has been the position uh, of council for a long time to protect these single family neighborhoods and to be extremely sensitive uh, to the affluent homeowners who oppose uh, development nearby them. Some in the development community say this isn't a case of nimbyism, but rather a unique spot rezoning challenge, saying before anything else happens on Granville Street, a solid community plan is needed first. Even if this project got approved last week, it would probably be three or three and a half years before anybody was living there, the way the city works. The city could do a lot more by reviewing its procedures, accelerating the process. While council has said no here, there are plenty of other properties along Granville waiting to be rezoned and waiting to see if the backlash will be worth the effort. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Vancouver Island Nursery that supplies thousands of plants to landscaping companies has been quarantined and its whole inventory might have to be destroyed. It happened after an inspection turned up a spore that can be disastrous to oak trees and many other plants. As Kylie Stanton shows us, the owners are devastated. Right there with the orange flag in that quarantine zone. Clearly marked and separated from the rest. This is ground zero. It's one plant out of nearly 100,000 plants. And now this entire 80-acre nursery could be at risk. We really don't have any words for it. The Canadian Food Inspection Agency began testing the host plants here at Island View Nursery more than a week ago, looking for Phytophthora remorum, a spore responsible for a number of plant diseases, including sudden oak death. It's in the air. It can either land here or land in anybody's backyard. So I really don't know why they've taken such a hard measure, measures on this and with such harsh uh, protocol. Unfortunately, it's something the Garcias are familiar with. After the spore was detected here back in 2007, the entire nursery was quarantined for 90 days for further testing, eventually closing while every last plant was destroyed. It put the family out $1 million, but they were lucky enough to get compensation. That has since changed. Can you imagine what's going to happen now if with no compensation? This can be very, very damaging. In a statement, the Canadian Food Inspection Agency said CIFA recognizes that the measures required to prevent the spread of P. remorum can be challenging for a nursery operation, and we always work to complete the steps required to protect plant buyers and the environment as quickly as possible. And so now the Garcias and their 2,000 customers wait. So now we're buying off the main line. It's going to affect uh, you know, the cost of the commercial and the uh, private sector. It could affect us about 30%. In the meantime, CIFA is continuing with another round of tests, with results expected in another two weeks. But either way, the family has decided to close the nursery for good. With these protocols in place... It's simply not worth the risk. You know, this is beyond our control, and uh, it's so hard. Kylie Stanton, Global News, Victoria. 
Fisheries officials say that rock slide into the Fraser River hasn't stopped some returning salmon from getting through, but they are still exploring ideas about how to help more fish get up the river. The slide came down just west of Clinton last week, creating a new waterfall and raging rapids at a narrow part of the river. That's raised fears returning salmon won't be able to navigate the new obstacle and get to their spawning grounds. Tonight, the DFO says by using acoustic equipment, they've determined that about 700 fish have made their way up the slide. And the majority of those fish have gotten through, we believe, our, our Chinook with uh, a smaller number of sockeye. Okay. And I, I can just add that it's still quite early in the season to be getting sockeye um, going into the river that high up. It's the earlier part of their migration for this year, so we wouldn't expect to see large numbers of them this right. coming year anyway. Officials will install more acoustic equipment below the slide on Thursday to find out how many salmon are actually still waiting to get upstream. A major highway announcement in the interior today that will lead to four-laning another part of the Trans-Canada Highway. As Global's Claudia Van Emmerich reports, residents of one community are hoping the improvements will save lives. The Trans-Canada is a heavily traveled highway, one that in this small shoe-swept community is causing some big concerns. At least a half dozen people in different accidents here and there. Tappan, the location for a major funding announcement that should improve road safety here and on several other BC highways. I'm very pleased to announce that more than $185 million in federal funding for six major projects. The bulk of that money, $177 million, will be spent here in this region to upgrade the Trans-Canada Highway. The improvements in Tappan will see four kilometres of road upgraded, including the expansion from two lanes to four. A new frontage road will be constructed for easier and safer access from the highway into the community. The project will also see the replacement of the aging Tappan Overhead Bridge. They've been a long time in coming. We've needed these here kind of improvements for the uh, last 30 years and I've lived here. You know, and in the summertime, our highway traffic increases a hundredfold. Highway upgrades that are hoped to have many benefits. Better, safer roads, um, better trade, uh, more economic development. Uh, obviously, while the work is being done, it's creating jobs. As for when the work will get underway, the federal government was not able to provide that information. Claudia Venema, Global News, Tampa. Well, we're getting our first look at the building constructed to house the reactor at the center of the world's worst nuclear disaster. After 12 years of design and construction... We are getting a first look at the confinement building of a reactor number four at the Chernobyl nuclear power plant, which exploded and burned in 1986. The new structure was built around the temporary sarcophagus that was put up immediately to contain the molten core and 200 tons of highly radioactive material. It was built just west of the reactor and then slid into place on rails, making it the largest movable land-based structure ever built. And more new video tonight of a close call with sharks off the U.S. coast. That was the moment where uh, things started getting crazy. A father using his drone at a Florida beach was shocked to see a shark heading straight for his three children. He managed to warn them and they rushed out of the water. On Monday, another drone capturing swimmers at Daytona Beach 
oblivious to several sharks. And there was a similar scene in North Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Experts say sharks aren't inherently interested in people, but with a number of attacks already this summer, they are still urging people to be aware. Well, in Health Matters tonight, a first ever cross-border event today to highlight a growing health challenge. More than 700,000 people in Canada and nearly 6 million people in the U.S. living with dementia. As Linda Aylesworth reports, doctors and patients from both sides of the border came together at the Peace Arch border crossing to send a message of understanding. At the Peace Arch border crossing, a party of sorts, the attendees from both sides of the border, united by a common cause. Some people already said to me today, oh, you don't look like you have dementia. And who, who looks like they have dementia? Myrna Norman certainly doesn't. And yet she was diagnosed with dementia 11 years ago. I wailed, I cried, I thought, oh, why me and why not somebody else? All that sort of crap. The way her doctor broke the news didn't help. Certainly when people are diagnosed, what we hear is that they're told, we're sorry this has happened, you should get your affairs in order. Which we understand to be go home and get ready to die. But she wasn't ready to die then and she certainly isn't now. Myrna is a fighter in the battle of her life. I know when I say things that are ass backwards. I know when I can't remember. So I'm actually aware of, of myself becoming smaller and smaller intellectually. The last thing people coping with dementia need is anything less than 100% of society's support. And yet... There's a lot of stigmatization of people with dementia, um, not being thought of as part of the community or being different. But thanks to advocates like Myrna and events like this, attitudes are slowly changing. Touch somebody's hand. We don't have a cure yet, but more and more we're seeing that people are able to be a part of their community, to not be isolated. Um, and that's, that's really what this is about. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. Well, this week marks five years since Ronald McDonald House moved into its new home on the grounds of BC Children's Hospital. Since then, 2,000 families every year have stayed in one of the home's 73 rooms while their children receive treatment. And as Michael Newman tells us, that support goes well beyond a place to spend the night. Action! The smell of fresh banana bread is something that always gets everyone stoked, especially for brothers Sebastian and Avery. It's one of the many things they love about the Ronald McDonald House. Good. We knew that we would be coming back here as needed, and it's just a comfort, right? We come back, and, and the boys are running in like, woohoo, we're back at Ronald McDonald House. And for the Togi family, who have spent over 300 of the last 728 days at the house while Avery undergoes treatment for his kidney cancer, this house is like a second home. Having this place here to, to not worry about where you're going to sleep and being able to have your family together, um, it's really important. We know that Avery always does better when his big brother's around to help. He might be feeling rotten, but he's around his brother and, and they go off and do things like they're two little boys and they play well together and they fight well together and they, they just be each other's best friends. I oh. love the white and gray Zodiac. Zodiac, yeah, it's a little boat. I like that. On any given day, you can find Seb and Avery hanging out with the other kids. 
building Legos, or doing arts and crafts. And while the kids are getting some downtime, so are the parents. Home for us is the Yukon. We'll just sit and have conversations and we'll joke in ways that probably most people won't understand because they're not in it with us. There's still that common understanding and there's still that sort of common sense of humor that, that goes with some of the things that our kids do. The house creates a dynamic environment where families can gather, whether harvesting food in the garden or baking treats in the kitchen. But the biggest gift is a sense of normalcy in a difficult time. Uh, having our Ronald McDonald House allows us to, to be together as a family. Right? Cancer battle. Yeah, the cancer battle. Michael Newman, Global News. And tomorrow, to help celebrate the fifth anniversary, we will be broadcasting live from Ronald McDonald House all day, hearing more of the special stories that make that house vital to families from all over B.C. Christy has had a big part in a lot of the events that they've done, and she'll be down there mm -hmm. tomorrow as well. Very connected. Well, here's something you don't see every day. A baby orca breaching off the B.C. coast. The picture's captured in the Salish Sea by Eagle Wing Tours. This one's identified as baby T46B6, and Eagle Wing says it breached at least eight times as it played with the other young orcas. Altogether, there were about 14 whales in the area. And by leaping out of the water, the baby orca also revealed its gender. It's a girl. <laughs> a gender reveal. Just like that. <laughs> well, another example tonight of how the daily lives of humans and bears in B.C. are becoming more and more intertwined. Metro Vancouver has been forced to close one of the main roads into one of its most popular parks to protect both. Catherine Urquhart explains why. Adorably cute. Two young cubs saunter along the side of Coquitlam's Oliver Road, their mother not far away. It's a common sight these days at Coquitlam's Minnacotta Regional Park. A lot of bears are out. I saw seven today. It's a good thing we heard them behind us because they came right out of the bush there. As many as 25 black bears are estimated to be in the park. Locals say they regularly cross the road to feast on blueberries. All of a sudden, as I turn the corner, there's the bear coming out the complete other side of the field, the dog chasing right behind it. So I was quite freaked out. I had to call my husband, come pick me up. The bears have resulted in motorists stopping to take photos. So now, to keep the bears and drivers safe, the road is being closed for the rest of the summer. Allowing vehicular traffic to Oliver Road, which is a two-way road but only one lane wide, uh, creates issues with uh, vehicle capacity on the road and creates dangerous situations for people using the park. The park remains open for cyclists and pedestrians, but anyone venturing into Minicotta Regional Park is urged to be vigilant. If you come out to Minicotta Park and you uh, see a bear, uh, keep your distance. We recommend staying at least 100 metres away from bears. And if you encounter one on one of the trails in the park, please give it space. If it's coming towards you, slowly turn around, go the other way, and just allow the bear to deal with whatever the bear needs to deal with in the park. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. A baby bear in trouble in Pit Lake. How Mama came to the rescue. 
That's right after the forecast. It sounds bad when a bear is yeah. in trouble, mm -hmm. doesn't it? You, you're pretty well aware of it, yeah. Yeah, certainly. Okay, Let's well, take that sound. But it does all work out in the end. We'll check in right now, though, with Yvonne. What a beautiful, looks like we're on the way to a beautiful sunset later tonight. Yeah, fantastic. We've been meeting to see some breaks today. We've been uh, socked in with a fair bit of cloud cover right across the board. Uh, there are some nice breaks, but we are still looking at some moisture moving in for both Thursday, Friday. And I'll hop the timing in just a moment. 20 out of the airport with the southeasterly wind. It's light right now at 19 kilometers per hour. A few spots in the interior today warming up as Soyuz and Kamloops pushing closer to 30 degrees. Wanted a quick update on Hurricane Barbara. This is the first major hurricane of the season. It's tracking west of Mexico and it is going to push its way. Now the track of it, it is categorized. It is a category four hurricane. The winds right now at 220 kilometers per hour and it's moving towards the northwest. It will make its way towards the Hawaiian Islands and it is going to weaken now as it gets into the cooler water, it'll likely be a tropical depression as we watch that and landfall or it'll make its way closer to the Hawaiian Islands if you are traveling and that'll be on Monday. All right, back for us here at home though, a different weather picture. We're looking at some instability, a slow moving system across the interior, still bringing the risk of thunderstorms. Most of the activity is across the central and southeastern corners of the province. It'll dissipate this evening with the moisture, uh, with the cooler temperatures rather. For the morning hours, it is cloud cover for the south coast, a chance to see some drizzle, and then it picks up once again for the afternoon. Northern half of the province up to 19 degrees, the risk of a thunderstorm popping up right across the interior areas, the southeastern corners, the tops in Okanagan, it's rain and heavy at times, or showers rather, and the south coast is where we'll see that cloud cover, morning fog patches, a chance for some drizzle, more shower activity on Friday and a few breaks for our Saturday Sunday. Guys? Thank you, Yvonne. Well, some remarkable video shows the maternal instinct in the wild kingdom on full display. A little guy's in trouble. A bear cub cries out for help and gets in trouble swimming across Pitt Lake with its family. In no time at all, though, Mama Bear to the rescue. She swims to the smaller cub. It climbs on her back and the other cub swimming in behind. All three of them made it safely to solid Aww. ground. We need some water. They're wings. cute. Cute from afar. Exactly. <laughs> That's right. Exactly. Over there. That was like Animal Kingdom Baywatch. Where are we starting? Wherever you want. Okay, let's start here. Let's do it. <laughs> let's start at the beginning. At the very beginning. I like it's that It's a very part. good place to start. Okay. Uh, the city of Toronto is in full Kauai craziness, with him apparently flying to that city on a plane that the Raptors own. Now, this could mean anything. Raptor fans, of course, hope he has come back to Toronto to make the announcement that he'll have a press conference and he's going to stay in Toronto next season. Or he may be there just to talk to the Raptors about next season. And they were good enough to fly him in. Or perhaps he hitched a ride on their plane because he has to drop his keys off to his realtor. Nobody knows, Kawhi knows, but nobody else knows. But people on the inside think he may be leaning towards the Raptors and away from LeBron James's circus in L.A. I would think we would know tomorrow what Kawhi Leonard is going to do. Maybe tonight, but a lot of people say possibly tomorrow. Now, one thing that would endear him to Toronto is just how the Raptors handled him this past season. He played in only 60 of 82 regular season games, a method they called load management because he had missed almost all of the previous season in San Antonio with a quadriceps injury that he felt the Spurs did not handle very well. In Toronto, he worked with Alex McKechnie, the master physiotherapist who started his career with SFU in 1974, 
work with the Whitecaps and work with the Canucks before becoming well-known to NBA teams and NBA players like Shaquille O'Neal. McKechnie says everyone on the Raptors staff knew if they could keep Kawhi Leonard healthy, the Raptors would be a championship contender. Curry lets it fly. Canada, the NBA title is yours. And this was really organic. It, it grew. It, it was... It was something that that, uh, that just it just grew, you know, and, and we expected to win going into the season. You know, we knew after having made that trade that you know we've got a, we've got a superstar here, that we can we can win, we can go the distance, and so it was really quite different. This is the sixth time Alex McKechnie's had his hands in on an NBA championship. He's one of the most respected and sought after physiotherapists in the world. When it comes to getting the best performance out of a professional athlete. McKechnie is truly in a league of his own. From a personal standpoint, you, you know, I'm working. You know, it's it's every night. It's um, people say, well, "Why are you so serious?" You know, well, there's 500 million dollars worth of contracts on the floor. You know, like every night. Alex McKechnie with a shoelace wrapped around the right thumb. McKechnie and his six-member Raptors training staff are always working together to gain the next competitive advantage. Throughout the season and playoffs, you no doubt heard the term load management, especially when it came to superstar Kawhi Leonard. Guess who developed it? The perception of, of load management is people just think somebody's resting. And it's actually not the case. You know, it's about sustaining and maintaining a certain load patterns. We're looking at, in, in this case, we're looking at a player that hadn't played in nine games in a year and a half. So we're looking at, 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 at um, how am I going to manage this load without exacerbating any pre-existing issues that might be there? That's really the case here. You just don't want your car overheating, you know? Put it, put it like that. So you want to sustain it, maintain it without, without excessive, you know, you, want to, you don't want to drive it up the Coca-Cola every day, you know, that might overload, that's all. Ask any superstar McKechnie's worked alongside and to a person they'll tell you nobody is more trusted than Alex. He may have won five championships in Lakers purple and gold, but his work in Toronto this season, arguably his best. Kawhi Leonard averaged the most points of his playing career in the regular season and then averaged a staggering 39 minutes running the floor in the playoffs. Plays a career high 52 minutes. It's my role you know, to put my players in the best possible environment to succeed. Does it get any better than this? Oh, it doesn't get much better. It really doesn't. To Wimbledon, where Milos Ronic was taking on Robin Hossa. Ronic would win the uh, first set. This is second set action. Go to the net, Milos. That's it. Stay there. Nice. Brilliant. He won the second set. In fact, he won this in straight sets, despite having a bit of an ankle and foot problem in the third set. They worked on that for about five minutes, but then... Whoever the trainer was had magic fingers because he came out and looked as good as new and is on to round three. Felix Auger-Aliassim against Corentin Moutet. It's a nice little forehand right here from Felix. Felix won the first set, lost the second set, then pulled away in the third and fourth sets. Great backhand here. So he's off to the third round as well. Gabrielle Dabrowski won her a doubles match, so she's off to round two. Okay, who's going to play the USA in the Women's World Cup final? Netherlands against Sweden. Extra time. Jackie Grennan, that's in. And that's the only goal 
that the orange of the Netherlands would need. one nothing over Sweden. They're off to the championship on Sunday against the USA and the Americans will be. Leaders in North America to become a household name in the modern media age. The automotive industry is remembering Lee Iacocca, who left a powerful legacy at two of the big three. He was known as father of the flashy Ford Mustang and promoter of the less than flashy minivan. Lee Iacocca. If you can find a better car, buy it. A larger-than-life auto executive who could not be confined to the boardroom. In this business, you lead, follow, or get out of the way. He was president of Ford for eight years before he was suddenly fired, but Iacocca quickly rebounded, going on to run Chrysler. He didn't just rescue the company from near bankruptcy, he became its persistent pitch man. No cars are perfect, but these come pretty close. So revered was Iacocca, he once flirted with running for president, but decided otherwise. I know that I wouldn't fit. I, uh, I'm from a different world. He served in other ways, like leading the effort to save the crumbling Statue of Liberty. Then in 1992, Iacocca hit the brakes. Well, it's here. Time for me to step down and retire as chairman of Chrysler. But he always remained an auto icon, even appearing in a commercial with Snoop Dogg. If the ride is more fly, then you must buy. That's what I hear. A visionary with relentless drive. Joe Fryer, NBC News. That was a good question. I wonder yeah. what he would think of electric cars yeah. nowadays. And self-driving cars. Right. <laughs> There's actually a movie coming out. About him? About him and was it Ford versus Ferrari. Oh, that's going to be a and great one. Carol Shelby in the whole bit. Yes. The GT40 that won Le Mans 1, 2, 3 a long time ago. I don't know what Way he just said. Time. Me neither. Okay. But uh, other people do. Other people at home understand Matt Damon's in it. Oh, that's okay. all we need. Oh, that's okay. all I know. <laughs> Sign me up. Yeah, enjoy uh, that late evening sunshine and the sunset. Decent weather. Have a good night, everyone. Good night. Good night.